So welcome back to another Impact tonight, another Impact Education League. Show. This is episode 130. I'm your host, ID3, Quiet Jones the third. Tonight's panelists are Nina Taylor, Buddy Thornton, Mama Pat Matthews, and Steven Suarez. Buddy Thornton, Apostles, Change and Control. Please say hello again to the people. Good evening, everybody, and uh, good evening to my esteemed panel mates. And uh, thank goodness 2022 is right around the corner. Absolutely, absolutely. And Stephen Soares, please say hello to the people. Good evening to everybody, as we say in Hawaii, Haoli Makahikio, wishing you the best in the new year and very proud to be on this panel. We are proud to have you here as well. And Mama Pat Matthews, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here tonight and hope we get a lot done in the time that we have allotted. Spotify. I say amen to that. And the lovely Miss Nina Taylor, please say hello to the people. Hello, everyone. As always, it is an honor and a privilege to be here on the panel. How you doing, sir? Wonderful. And with that being said, tonight's topic, I feel like tonight is going to be Facebook. Mm, because of the panelists that we have tonight, it's going to be an extravaganza. What's the topic? I'm going to get to that. The topic is vagueness in educational policy creates challenges for all. Do we value and give reverence to our educators in the United States, like other countries, give value and high esteem and high reverence for their teachers? Teachers on all tiers, that's secondary education, post-education, already have the responsibility to create an equitable environment for student success in their classrooms. Educating students to include working with parents, administrators, teacher unions, and school board trustees as resources for positive youth development. It's so challenging. It's so tedious. And for those diverse learners out there, who will be their voice? The policy must be enforced to maintain the professional ethical conduct practices and performances required by all districts, educational institutions, education certification programs, pedagogy, and educational agencies throughout the United States of America. The education system in the United States is made up of a large proportion of independent school districts and public schools. And so educational policy means that each district has the responsibility of and accountability of maintaining its own rules and governing boards and adhering to laws and rules established by their state level legislature. 
and the United States Congress. Because we know this, that these these bills become laws. We had to bring on the panelists that we have here tonight. You know, first I want to go around the horn here and I want to go and stop at Steven Torres. Steven Torres, when I first sent you this topic, what was the first thing that went through your mind? The first thing that went through my mind was all of the things that are happening today to board members that are facing parents, um, some of the negative things that are happening there. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of inequities in the funding to, to different um, schools within the state. And, you know, coming from the U.S. Department of Education, I understand how Congress makes their policies. They do ask us for input. We dole that out to the states, and the states have the responsibility to get it to the primary and secondary schools. And of course, you know, your higher education folks are going to get a separate type of funding for financial aid. The vagueness in those policies are creating problems. Every year, well, twice a year, the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Inspector General actually does a semi-annual report to Congress. I believe that I've, I've sent you, Isaiah, some of the, um, uh, the web links that, that people can look at. There's a lot of things that go on. Because of those vagueness, there's a lot of audits that come out and say schools did not spend the money properly or states did not spend the money properly. It's either the state is not getting it down to the proper level or they're interpreting the law in their own way, which, of course, ends up in an IG investigation every six months and then gets reported up to Congress. So every year, there's more things that are added to bills, and it's not necessarily helping anybody. Okay, so I, I don't know. Um, you know, that the law is one thing. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of people getting involved in, in forming those laws. But I'm also worried about what's happening at the local level. Um, I know, you know, voting is not part of this conversation, but if we don't elect the, the right officials that sit on your boards that act as guardrails against some of the, I would have to say, unusual things that are going on right now, um, there's, there's going to be more problems with schools and, and then add COVID. I was a medical service corps officer and I can tell you, the, things are going to get worse as kids get sicker. And then there's educators leaving the program because of parents, because of kids getting sick. And of course, let's not, let's not forget the pay. Um, and, you know, school boards having to put up with very divisive comments that are being made at those situations. So there's a lot that we can dissect in maybe some of your future podcasts 
and kind of concentrate on what people can do to help smooth this out and get people involved in the right direction. Oh, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. That was a lot that came out from that one topic. You know, we're not tonight, we're not going to talk about student loan forgiveness, okay? We're not going to talk about college accreditation. We're not even going to talk about higher education rulemaking efforts, okay? But what we are going to talk about is transforming teachers. What we are going to talk about tonight is family and community engagement. We're going to talk about early learning, but most importantly, we know what we're going to talk about tonight. <laughs> we're going to talk about our God-given rights as citizens, as voters. With that being said, let me go to Mama Pat Matthews, and what was the first thought that came to your mind when you saw this topic, Mama Pat Matthews? Well, I had different thoughts, and uh, the one thing that stuck out with me was about the COVID. But as Stephen was speaking, and he was talking about the voting, that hit a nerve with me because so many of the parents, and I work elections, See, a lot of things happen in the school board and the, the, the election of the school boards and the districts and all that. The communities have to vote on these things. But if it's not the mayor, the governor, or the president, parents don't get out and vote. And that's the same thing about the COVID-19. A lot of people don't know that in February, coming up February of uh, 2022, early voting will start on February the 14th. Election day will be March the 2nd or 3rd, I'm not sure. Whatever the first Tuesday in March will be election day. It's small little things that happen in your community that people need to get out and vote. They just claim everything just happened and they don't know nothing about it. It's because you won't participate. And even little simple stuff as the school board deciding that we should wear a mask, if the teachers should wear a mask, if the students should wear a mask for COVID-19 and and. Everything is happening in your community, you can vote on it, or you can contact your congressperson and have them to put it on the agenda, but people don't participate. And so even, you said we're not going to talk about student loans, but even that, you know, and for a while they were forgiving student loans, then they stopped, now they're starting back. It's just so much we could talk about. But COVID-19 is revving back up and it's going to affect the teachers. Uh, it's going to affect the students because it's running rampant. So we need to do everything we can to keep our teachers because the ones that we have are critical to our community and keeping our children educated. Lord, have mercy. I'm sorry for saying that. Uh, hey, man, <laughs> listen, tonight we're going to be talking about advocating for students. Tonight we're going to be talking about advocating for the professionalism of education for those educators. We're going to talk about the code ethics, 
These are key elements that we have to make sure are pillars, that they remain pillars in our education system and the structure and the fiber of this great country we call America or the United States, okay? And, and tonight, we're going to exercise our First Amendment right, freedom of speech, right? And we're going we're gonna to let that due process that's so necessary help us advocate for our students. I wanna, let, me go, let me go to Nina Taylor. What was your thoughts when you first got this topic? <laughs> I'm sorry, let's go to the lovely Miss Nina Taylor. What was your thoughts when you first heard this topic? Well, when I first looked at it, I thought, wow, let me think about this a lot, but um, uh, we're actively trying to do that in my school. You know, I'm an educator as well. I do work with the younger children, which their needs are differently. Now, the question you asked was how can we make it more equitable for our students, right? Is that not the question? Um well, by actively promoting equity, um, to me that means that we have to remove the barriers that will prevent our students from succeeding. An example of that is at my particular school, we have a large Hispanic community as well as a Somalian community. Those children oftentimes come in not speaking a word of English. So in order to teach them, and, and they're actually in the right place, even though none of us speak their languages. Uh, you know, we pick up things from working with them. Um, we have to provide them with the resources based on their individual needs. They get everything that everyone else gets. You know, they get the same resources and everything that's provided, but their learning is going to be different than the children who, uh, you know, were born here. So by providing them with resources that help them with their individual needs, that's going to help them succeed. Oh, I love this. I love it. When you gave me your response, I, 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 let me pull from Buddy Thornton because I, I want to know how, because Buddy, I believe you're in Arizona and then you're in Ohio and yeah. Stephen, you're in uh, Nevada, Mama Pat and I, we're in Texas. And so, you know, of course, the state laws are different. The educational policies are different because of those different states. So, you know, in Arizona, uh, for instance, you know, buddy, how would you start this type of conversation off, you know, about about these laws, about amending laws, passing new laws regarding something simple as a, a larger classroom size for students, something simple as distribution of funds. Now, we've seen a lot. Uh, especially here in Texas, where our our districts have stepped up to the plate astronomically, and they have started food programs where they are distributing food for kids throughout the school year and the summertime and during the holiday breaks, right? Um, but also, you know, how should we require, especially with COVID nineteen? spiking back up. How are we going to require, how should we require uh, the, the school attendance? And, you know, these are some of the things that, you know, 
educational commissioners, they're, 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 they're actually wrestling with these things. They're tackling these issues as we speak. And so, Buddy Thornton, Public Social Change Agent Pro, looking through your lens, how would you navigate that? Well, uh, before I jump into the question, uh, you did bring up ethics. Uh, somebody brought up ethics, and the first thing I would do in any conversation is look uh, the lawmakers in the eye and say, when are we going to bring ethics back into the conversation? Because I just, I mean, I just published a book on ethics. And one of the most important things people have to understand about ethics is regardless of whether you're trying to do something for somebody else, regardless of whether you're tasked with governing, uh, being responsible for anything, having a level of accountability, there is always a measure of self-interest in any decision you make and any process you go through. And how do we measure the percentage of self-interest in a decision someone makes? And usually the only answer we can give is the outcome. And when we see outcomes that we're seeing across the country, not just in Arizona, not just in Texas, but in school systems across the country based on the laws that were passed on how to measure teacher effectiveness and school outcomes, what the outcomes of the, all the programs is we've created a system that creates throwaway schools, a throwaway school mindset, a throwaway student mindset. And when I look at that, I look them in the eye and I say, well, where's, where's the ethics? When are we going to bring the ethics back into the equation? Because what you're doing is you're, you're sitting there in a legislative seat and most of the legislators at least have at least a, a fair amount of affluence. Not all of them do, of course. And in Arizona, the legislators aren't paid very much money. So to get elected, they've got to be sitting on a little bit of money so they can weather the storm to go through their their uh, you know their their time in office. So they're they're voting and they're making decisions based on a level of affluence that they don't have to look someone in the face and say, "Are you going to be fed tomorrow?" Now, to be fair, you know, we have a food distribution program here for all the schools. And all summer and throughout COVID, there's been a van parked at the end of my street. And if uh, someone with kids doesn't come and get food uh, when their school is out, they'll come and knock on your door and say, hey, did you guys forget to come get your food today? I mean, there's an active program. These school districts are, are actively making sure these kids are eating food. So, you know, at the school level and at the, at the program level, there is an active effort being made. But when you go to the legislative level, not talking about Congress, I'm talking about local, you have to be able to look them in the eye and say, where is your head? What, where is the ethics in this conversation? Because when you're voting from a position of self-interest and you are looking at something and saying, this school is not performing and I'm not going to spend funds on this school because it's not performing, you flip the switch. You're looking for quality versus quantity. And what you should be doing is you should be looking at saving the maximum number of kids versus the minimum number of kids. You've got to reverse the funding. You've got to put more money into the schools where the kids who have very little hope and create a cascade effect. If you were to just lift the outcome in the suboptimal schools, 
to at least a minimal level, what you would do is you would remove or reduce the load, the residual load on society. You would remove a huge burden from society. When a child comes out of school with a, at least a minimal level of education and they are a functional adult, they are less likely to be a burden on society for 20, 30, 40 years. What is that worth to society? And what is the cost to a state to make sure that child gets an effective education so they don't become and remain a burden to society? The legislators are not thinking that way. They're thinking, what's the problem right now? They're not looking 5, 10, 20 years down the road. They don't understand. They need to remove the social burden. We need to incentivize them to start thinking long-term but think local. If this area is depressed, why is it depressed and how do we lift it out of depression? Incentivize progress, not success. If an area is not progressing, let's get it to progress. We need to identify the primes that are causing the problem. We need to identify the triggers that are keeping it down, and we need to fix them, and we need to fix them at the local level because guess what? At the local level, people are motivated to act. Nobody in Washington is going to care what happens in Dallas, Texas. No one in Washington is going to care what happens in Phoenix, Arizona. They're only going to care about getting reelected. We need to make sure they fund for social change and not the status quo. Because the status quo is what's killing society right now. We need to establish a strong, weak dyad. The strong is at the local level. I've said it on multiple podcasts, and I'll say it again and again and again. Focus local, because global and national doesn't drive the bus. Local drives the bus. Stop the throwaway school mindset. Stop the throwaway child mindset. These children are our future. We need to love our children, not throw them away. Sir, that was hot off the press. Listen, I'm not going to try to... <laughs> I'm not going to even try to comment on that. Uh, I'll be doing the injustice. I'm going to bring it around the panel. But what I do want to say is we have to come to some sort some kind of agreement okay with our schools with our school districts and I'm gonna tell you why because we're due this agreement we're due this guarantee because of what law calls due process okay so we need to start resolving these disputes. I want to go around the horn real quick, go around the panel. What are the takeaways from what Buddy Thornton, the positive social change agent pro, just said? Who wants to go first? What are the takeaways? I'll, I'll go ahead. This is Stephen. But Buddy was right on target. When he said it's at the local Steve, level. Stephen, 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 excuse me. Before you go, please tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, who you are and what you do currently. Ah, okay, sure. <laughs> so um, I was appointed by the Nevada governor for a three-year appointment as a commissioner on the Commission on Post-Secondary Education. So that's currently what I'm doing. My involvement in this podcast, of course, is just sharing my personal experience. Um, so I 
I had talked about that earlier about you know some of the congressional and education levels and when it hits the state. But you know, Buddy is right. It is at the state level. That's where the problem is. And it's going to take a lot more people, parents, <laughs> being involved in their child's education. But you know what I hear a lot of? I don't have the time. I can barely make ends meet. I'm out there trying to keep my, my family with a roof over their head and, and keep them fed. And that's just sometimes not enough. I, I don't know what the honest answer is, but they do have to speak up. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And, and hopefully somehow we can use technology to help um, these parents, help us as parents monitor our, our children more in the future. Who else Who else has, has a takeaway from what Buddy Thornton just said? Um, I do. Um, he's exactly right about everything. Um, I noticed last year when we were in the beginning of the pandemic, when we were working uh, virtual, you know, we were actually teaching virtual to five-year-olds, six-year-olds. And so many of the parents were so uh, prepared or even qualified to even get the children on the computer. Some of them had to go to the school buildings to get someone to show them how to log onto a computer. And it's so many uh, adults walking around today that some of them have even graduated from high school. But if you read a note from them or something that they had written, you can see that there's definitely a problem. So how is this person who is just one step up from illiterate going to help our kids with what they have to do? And this is something that we noticed we were like, you know, we we're in serious trouble. Starting next month here in Ohio, our school district is starting uh, overtime and Saturday school. That's how bad it is. We're going to be teaching on Saturdays till 5.30 in the evening, two days a week, and four hours on Saturday because so many kids are so behind with everything that's happened over the last year. We've got to have the parent support. We've got to have, this is something that the entire community has got to rally around and help the kids. It's just Nobody's going to make it. And I agree with what she just said uh, because this COVID is ramping back up and we're going to get deeper and deeper in the hole. And I have to bring religion into this because same like back when I was in school, we had prayer in school and before we started a school day, we would pray. And it seemed like all hell has broken loose since we took prayer out of the schools. And some of the parents don't seem to care enough. I know that they have to work and they have to do stuff, but I, I believe in prayer. And if, if we could just teach our children to pray under their breath since they can't pray aloud. But I, I think that we need to go back to the old time way. And that's why we got you here with us. 
tonight. Listen, you know, wow, this is getting this was it started off good. It started off good. And hopefully, you know, you guys will share uh, this podcast to your, your friends, especially your, your educators and, and your parents. You know, teachers have so much to deal with, so much, so many challenges. I'll say that they're gonna be up and up, well versed with edu- with uh, technology. They gotta be able to use technology well enough to communicate with families. And you have, in a lot of school districts, you have uh, you know, family members that don't speak English. So you got your ELLs that you have to teach, that you have to nurture, that you have to give them all of the necessary building blocks to be successful. Then you gotta communicate with the parents, you gotta have effective conferences. You gotta find out what ways guardians communicate, whether it's through email or a, a text message or calling them on the phone or sending letters home. So you gotta find out what works. There's so much and then you have to teach that child along the way. So you're talking, as a teacher, the educator, you're dealing with families, you're dealing with community involvement, especially with children coming from different cultures. Mom Pat Matthews, I want to ask you a question because you have been around longer than anyone else on this podcast. And so do you feel, honestly, we want you to be transparent? Well, I know you're going to be transparent, but... Do you feel that educators are doing an excellent job during this pandemic and how and how can their local communities, businesses, you name it, how can they better support educators' efforts moving forward? Well, I can only speak for my community and I know quite a few educators and I feel like with what they have to work with, they're doing the best they can. And the COVID doesn't help. And I know a lot of teachers that are doing above and beyond for their students. They they buy extra supplies because there are some students that have problems at home, can't afford to buy supplies and things like that. And I know that um, a lot of teachers are doing what, they're, what they can to help their students survive in the classroom because the reason so many of them have stayed on the job in the midst of COVID and, and when we closed down and started back is because they care about the students. They are educators at heart. But you can only do so much with a limited amount. And so we, as the community, will have to encourage the parents to vote, try to give a little more time to know what is going on at your particular school. And most of all, we have to encourage 
those that pray to pray and lift up our school system, our teachers, and our surroundings, our school boards, and our school districts, to keep them lifted up in prayer. Because I believe that the teachers that are still on the job have teaching and education at heart. That's why they're still there. Dangerous, 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 dangerous. Okay, let me bring let me bring a question in, Taylor, because you're an educator, so you know about uh, you know teaching kids with whatever platforms you got to use, whether it's online, whether it's in person, whether it's academic journals, whether it's workshops, seminars, classes with uh, small group settings, uh, think pair share, you name it. Uh, even putting books that are culturally relevant around your kids. So what, for you, what are the key ways that you create an equitable environment in your classroom? Like I said earlier, by taking each individual child, I work in a program that's geared toward, I teach reading, basically. And I help uh, even the children who don't speak English. So I found some computer programs for the Spanish children that's teaching them in Spanish. I don't know fluent Spanish. So, uh, and the same thing with the Somali kids. I only have one. But they have to be taught the way they can learn. If that means I have to play rap videos to to make you comfortable or whatever I have to do. You know, whatever I have to do, I have to find some Spanish lessons or Spanish books and try to teach you English based on, you know, those things. Then that's what we have to do. Each child is an individual and everybody doesn't learn the same way. The ones that are really, really, you know, lower than the rest, I got to teach them one-on-one. -on -one. And some of them don't want to be around other because they know that they're not picking up things as fast as the other. So I might have to work with them one-on-one. -on -one. And then if that's what it is, then that's just what it is, you know. And she's right. I have bought a lot of things out of my own pocket. You know, it is a tax write-off when we do that. But a lot of the teachers who have stuck with it, our school is short-handed. Majority of the school is short-handed. A lot of the teachers said, I'm not doing this. I'm not risking my life coming back into the building and risking getting COVID and possibly dying. I already have this. I already have that. I got high blood pressure, diabetes. This stuff could kill me. I'm not coming back. Every school district is suffering because people have walked out. They've left it. But the ones, those of us who have stayed, we're doing what we have to do to teach whatever way it's going to work for the, each individual child. And our school is even, uh, we only had like, before COVID, like 250 kids, now we only have like 120 kids. That's in the entire school. So all the classrooms are smaller. We have to keep them separated. But we're doing it by each individual child. That's the only way they're going to be able to learn. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Educators must. We have no other choice. We have to comply. We have to comply, we have to adhere to, we have to follow guidelines that are set by the state. So those state regulations, 
we have to comply with them. We have to comply with the written local school board policies. We have to comply and satisfy all of those facets while we're still maintaining <laughs> our compliances with state and federal laws. I can't talk about this. I can't speak to this, but we have tonight with us someone who can. And that's in the person of Steve Soares. As an educational office inspector and commissioner for post-secondary education. Stephen, how has the vagueness for laws created problems at the state level to execute, to manage, and to maintain and sustain a positive culture within the education system and, and what challenges have educational leaders like yourself had to wrestle with? That's my question. Okay. <laughs> so the vagueness in the laws were just basically so that you could get the funding out. And again, that's starting from the congressional level down to education, education to the state. The problem with that, and, and I have to bring this up, the previous administration focused in on private and religious schools and did not do very much for public schools. So in each, each of the states, they have their own laws, own ways of distributing money down to, um, to the districts. And, and it creates a problem when we don't understand what we need to do to spend that money properly. And if you get enough money, when you know you need more money. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm hearing everybody say the same thing. You know, the challenges are for the, for the educators right now. I see you giving money out of your pocket. I know you're doing everything in your power to do your best to teach those kids. There's now a teacher shortage. We need to get the parents involved, like Mama Pat Matthews said. Get them involved and get them to lift up some of the, the things that are going on in the schools now. We, we need to, I don't know that changing the law to make it too specific will do any good because then not everybody's gonna have access to it. So there, it's, it's a real tightrope to walk. But the more people that get involved and I'm talking from an educator level. If you're an educator, bring it up the chain. Let others above you get to the state and local levels to say what it is you need and how much you need. Then that way, 
lawmakers can talk to your your congressional lawmakers and say, hey, this is what we're going to need for the state. That's how it should work. It doesn't always do that, but that's how it really should work. Listen, we are out of time tonight. Uh, do we have time for takeaways? Uh, let, let's, do, let's do some quick takeaways from tonight's discussion. Uh, wow, who wants to go first? I think I'll jump in right quick. I don't want to jump too hard though, but I will say this. When lawmakers pass laws or they force mandates down people's throats that they do not themselves have to abide by, the public always suffers. The legislators in every state, and certainly the people in Congress, do not send their children to public schools. But they pass laws and create policy that dictates how public schools run. The best way to enlarge the conversation is to ask them, what exactly would you do what choices would you make and what policies would you create if you knew that your child was going to have to live within that system for the next four years? I guarantee you, if they had to face that every day and had to face their child every morning across a breakfast table, they would make different choices. I'd like to agree. I'll go next. I agree with what he just said because... That's one of the things about we have to educate the parents as well as the children because they might not be able to help their children with their homework and stuff like that. But we need to encourage the parents to take the time to vote and to check into, you know, because a lot of people say, I'm not going to vote because I don't know these people. Well, that's part of your homework as a as a parent is to know who your school board members, who your Congress people, the people that are making the laws, you need to go on the internet or ask somebody and try to find out who these people are representing you because they are representing you. And one thing about being a senior citizen, that I'm a member of AARP and they send me information about everything. The Congress people, the uh, how to get in contact with them, laws about the schools, laws about, and you can get that information. They will help. They'll send it to you. What's going on? What you need to learn about it. And so we need to encourage our our parents to be more involved in their children's life and not just put a phone or a tablet in their face and let them go. I'll go ahead and go next. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, being involved politically is what I like to do. So I make sure that I can vet a candidate and know exactly where they're coming from, exactly what mama, mama said there and exactly what Buddy said, is getting those lawmakers to understand what it is they're going to do. The lovely Miss Nina Taylor, please take us home. Well, all of the panelists are exactly right. Um, it's, I'm sure it's nothing that all of us haven't said. We have an excellent 
uh, union here in Ohio who has uh, just done a remarkable job at getting us uh, additional monies for uh, COVID for uh, we got uh, some kind of a bonus check for hazard pay uh, just in time for Christmas, which was really a blessing. Um, those of us who are going to be teaching uh, during uh, the Saturday and after school program, uh, the tutoring, we don't have to do it. It's strictly volunteering. And the kids, even the ones who are failing, don't have to come. But if they do, we're going to be paid very nicely for it. And that's also a blessing. I'm thankful for that as well. I said, absolutely, you know, sign me up. I didn't even know it was going to be an, an overtime situation. I just said, yeah, if they need it, I'll do it. Um, but you're absolutely right. We have rules that are set down by the school board and and your individual school rules. And now the CDC, it's just so much. It's a lot. Believe me, it's a lot. And that's why, you know, people are leaving our district every single day. You know, they're so shorthanded. They've got ads everywhere trying to recruit people to come and work. And, and it's, it's, it's making, making us a little scared. But, <laughs> um, you know, we're doing what we have to do. We're trying everything. We've given out free food, free clothes, free this, free that, to get the parents to come to the school and be proactive in, in helping us, you know, and listening to the needs of their individual kids. That's what we're going to keep doing, you know, and try to see if we can get these test scores up and to get, you know, the kids back to the levels that they were prior to COVID. Listen. This was another impactful night of impact of education leadership. Good night.